0: I do want to let you know, with this series, uh, it's an important series we're doing, um, this is actually a series that has been written by Andy Stanley, and um, it, it was so impactful for Cole and myself that we're doing the best we can to teach this as accurately as possible to you as well, So, because it was meaningful, very meaningful for us. Uh, we're actually in week number two of this series. Um, and the title of the series is called Begin Again. So let me very quickly recap where we were last week, and um, and that will kind of catch us up. But um, so we said this, everything has a beginning point. Everything starts some way, right? Your career had a beginning point. Uh, any relationship you've ever had has a beginning point. They all have beginning points, but we don't often think of a beginning point for our faith, our Christian faith. We don't often think of it in terms, but yes, even faith has a beginning point. If you have faith in God or you used to have faith in God, at some point for you, there was a beginning. Now, for most of us, we were kind of handed some sort of faith, some kind of framework as we were growing up as children. And it probably looks something like this. We were taught that God is good. Um, in fact, we have a little prayer that goes with that. We were taught that, um, God rewards good people. And we were taught often that he punishes bad people. And we were also taught as children so often that God answers prayer and so on. There's some other things we were taught as well, but So for most of us, as we came into adulthood with some sort of framework, some sort of uh, of faith that was kind of handed to us at a church, or maybe it was vacation Bible school or Sunday school class, maybe even a student ministry. Um, And then for others, we just kind of, who maybe were not handed that faith as, as a child from a family or from a church. Uh, maybe we uh, kind of, as we were growing up as students or college students, kind of pieced something together on our own because, um, after all, we needed to make sense of why there were moments of joy in our life and there were moments of sadness, and we kind of pull a belief system together to help us make sense. And then some interesting things happened along the way. We became an adult, or as a student, we got into uh, junior high, high school. And suddenly, without meaning to, there became this gap between uh, what we were taught about God as children and what we were experiencing in our adult life, this gap. Um, And if you grew up in a Christian tradition like I, I did, Um, We remember singing songs about how Jesus loves the little children, right? If you grew up, maybe you remember that. But then you might look around the world and you saw some children around the world and you thought to yourself, ah, doesn't look like Jesus really loves those children around the world. And so that didn't make sense to you. You weren't sure about what do I do with that. And maybe you were taught that God heals But then you prayed for your mother to be healed, and maybe your mother didn't get healed. And you didn't begin necessarily slipping away from your faith because of some great big conversation you had or some big conflict that you had. It just kind of happened. Over the course of time, that foundation that you were given as a kid began to diminish as you experienced the rigors of growing up into adulthood. There was just too much tension. Uh, you, 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 know, you weren't mad at God. You weren't upset with God. You just kind of drifted away. You don't even know if you really even quit believing in God. You just simply woke up one day, and you were in a world that didn't really make anything important uh, regarding faith. And so what we decided about this series is that we wanted to kind of hit the begin again button and kind of start over. We ask, what would it look like if we were to begin this faith journey again, but this time as an adult or as a student? Because we want to really begin to answer some very important questions. As an adult, um, we experience uh, circumstances maybe back to back and maybe maybe you found yourself going to funerals and at the funerals you would hear things taught and talked about by a pastor and maybe you were left to wonder, is any of this stuff actually true? Is, Is there any way to know for certain that what we're talking about is true? So with that in mind, we're going to spend this series that we're in, which is going to go through July, we're going to spend this series kind of pressing that reset button, that start over button, that begin again button regarding the Christian faith. And here's something that you might find helpful today as we do this, as we get started. This is kind of where we were last week. The Bible says is not really an adequate beginning place or returning place for many adults. If we were going to say, hey, let's press this, re, uh, this begin again button. Let's press that button on our faith journey. And if I were to come up here and to say, okay, um, uh, you've been out of church for a while and maybe you're thinking about coming back in and exploring a, a relationship with Christ. And if I said, I'm going to help you begin again, let's press this begin again button. And then I said, now the Bible says you might be thinking to yourself, whoa, 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 whoa. Now, Harley, that, let, let's maybe start somewhere else because my childhood faith began with that statement. And my childhood faith did not hold up under the rigors of growing into adulthood. And that's part of the reason even maybe the Bible says maybe part of the reason why you're struggling today. And so maybe you would think to yourself, I don't want to start there. So please don't come at me, Harley, with the Bible says... And then the Bible says, and then keep going on what the Bible says, because you might say to yourself, I know a lot of what the Bible says, and, and and I know some things that are in there because the Bible also says a lot of other things that might be a little confusing, right? And, and you might say, have you ever thought about that, Harley? So if somebody gets up and says, the Bible says, you might be like, all right, Hold on, uh, I, I know you love Jesus and all, but listen, the uh, the Bible says a whole lot of other things too. H- h- how about some of those other things that the Bible says? Have you read that first part, Harley? Have you read the first part of that? Because the Bible says a whole lot there as well. And I know you love Jesus, but you and we have a tendency as a Christ follower, we have a tendency to answer that by saying. Yeah, 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 I, I, I know, yes. Um, uh, maybe we just don't read that part. <laughs> just read those parts about Jesus. Maybe we skip over those parts. I mean, don't get me wrong, the Bible's all inspired. I believe that inspired word of God, but maybe just don't read that part. Now, that's part of the problem. It might be part of the problem why you're thinking, I can't restart my faith around the phrase the Bible says, because the Bible says a whole lot of stuff that Christ followers tend to just skip over. And you might be thinking to yourself, and I'm an adult now. I'm not a kid any longer, and I can't ignore those things. I can't just skip over those things. And yes, I believe that there's a God that is good, but please, Harley, don't expect me to believe the whole Bible. So, we're not going to. And here's why. Because the Bible says is not an adequate starting point for many adults. In fact, this could be good news to you. The Bible says was never intended as the beginning point for the Christian faith. Now this is important. We talked about this in detail last week, so I would encourage you to go back and listen to either the audio recording, which is at uh, SoundCloud.com, and go search for my name, Harley Petty. You'll find it there, or. You can find it on the Facebook live recording at Stuttgart Harvest Church from last week. Because if you don't understand what we're talking about when I say this, you might leave here thinking something else. So it'd be very, very important to go back and hear why we said what we just said. And I don't have time to recap it all today. But this this series that we're doing is meant to be taken kind of in order, in a progression. So any parts that you do miss, you can go back and pick up, okay? You can go back and pick those up. So the good news is we don't have to, by God's design, we don't have to begin with the Bible says. Which is why last week, we ended with a question. What is the beginning point of the Christian faith? So if it is not, the Bible says, then what is it? What is the beginning point? Because it kind of begins with a question. So if the proper question is not, was Adam and Eve real people? Were they real people? Um, if the question is not, uh, was there really an ark? Did Noah really, and how did he get all those animals on there? If those aren't the questions, and if the question is not, does a good God allow bad things to happen? If that is not the question, then what is the question? Well, you know, I, I'm so glad you asked <laughs> because now I have something to talk about. The starting point for the Christian faith. The thing that you have to wrestle to the ground is the question, who is Jesus? That's it. All the other stuff, it is interesting. I love talking about it. All the other stuff is important. It's just not where you start the Christian faith. The starting point is with the question, who is Jesus? Now, in a few weeks, we're going to answer that question in more detail. But for now, if you're considering Christianity or you're considering returning to Christianity, just remember that is the question. The beginning question is always who is Jesus? But today, we're going to talk about a specific word. And it's a word that surfaces with uh, religious conversations a lot. It's a word that you're going to be familiar with, and it certainly is uh, uh, something that always surfaces as we as we talk about anything kind of religious. It's a word um, that if you're going to be hitting the begin again button, you're going to have to deal with this word. And it's a word that you know something about. It's a word that you grew up with, and um, uh, it's a word that you heard a lot, especially if you grew up in a church like I did that was uh, kind of a Christian church. Here is the word we're going to talk about today, sin. Sin is such an interesting word. Because in our culture, we have taken that word sin, uh, and this is a word that is largely, almost exclusively, uh, a theological word. Whereas two weeks ago, we talked about a word that wasn't. Um, Today, sin, it is pretty much exclusively a theological term. Um, It is not a word that we use in our everyday life at all. Um, You don't tell your kids, honey, you've sinned against your mother. We don't say that. Um, it, it's not something you use in business. Uh, you don't show up to work and, and your boss is uh, tapping his fingers on his desk or her desk, and she doesn't look at you and say, um, Come into my office. We're going to need to uh, talk about your sin. <laughs> you, that, that would just be weird at work. It's not going to happen. Um, you've never received a sin citation um, from a police officer because this is almost exclusively purely theological and there's a reason why we tend to push back from this word because regardless of what religion you grew up with or denomination or have come out of or are thinking about going into some form or fashion this word has been a part of that and it is a heavy heavy word this word carries a lot of weight If we acknowledge, I've sinned, we have this feeling of, it's done, it's over, that's the end of the story. It's like me saying, yep, I've sinned, and that means I'm toast, and it's over, and there is no hope for me. And here's why. The idea of sin doesn't leave us with any wiggle room. Uh, it, there's no room to blame someone else or something else for what we've done. There's no room for blame. Um, there's nowhere to turn. It's just, I've sinned and that's it. And, and it's like looking in the mirror and in the mirror, there's this problem right there in front of me, staring back at me. And that's the problem I've sinned. That's my problem. So I've done something um, interesting in in my culture and you have done this in your culture. We have chosen another word um, because this word, sin, um, carries too much weight for most of us. So we've basically removed it from our culture and we've replaced it with another word that's a little smoother. It goes down a little easier. Sin has been replaced for a word with a word that is easier for us to bear. And I want you to know it's a terrible word because it doesn't come close to cutting it. It does not come close. The word we use doesn't come close to the gravity of sin. And I get it. Sin feels heavy and it feels condemning. Sin leaves me on the outs with God And it leaves me with no place to go. It leaves me just feeling like I'm sinned, I've sinned, the end, that's it, no hope. So we have replaced sin with the word mistake. Think with me for a moment. How many times have we heard a politician stand up in front of many TV cameras and about eight microphones, and confess a mistake. If you listen to their story, this person, maybe they destroyed their family, maybe they destroyed their job, their office, they destroyed their reputation, they hurt the country or the city, and they keep saying something like, I have made some mistakes. And you're sitting there listening to this and you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's, that's not a mistake. That is way bigger than a mistake. Because you know, a, a mistake is something we make on a math test, at least most of us. <laughs> Some of us don't. The, 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 a, a mistake is something that happens when uh, we're filling out our taxes and we put the wrong number in the wrong box. That is a mistake. Uh, 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 but listen, what we heard that person talk about, that was no mistake. That was bigger than a mistake. And we use the term, mistake, and we kind of dumb it all down, and we do it all the time. Think about this. If I were to come in here with no context for you, and I ask this question, how many of you have made some mistakes in your past? I think pretty much everyone would raise their hand. Yeah, sure, I've made some mistakes. Yeah, I've made some mistakes. We've all made mistakes. Everybody would have their hand up. In fact, you would probably put your hand up even if you didn't think you made any mistakes just because you didn't want someone to say, oh, yeah, you think you're perfect? We all know we've all made mistakes. But if I came in here and asked with no context and I just simply said, raise your hand, how many of you have sinned, have a lot of sin in your life, (laughs) (laughs) most of us would struggle, especially the people on the very front row, because you're not sure if anybody behind you has raised their hands at all. And you're like, I'm not sure. And you're like, what what, what is up? Why are you asking this? What's the big deal here? What's going on? We might be asking. So mistakes? Sure, sure, Harley. I've made some mistakes, but sin? Whoa, Harley, that's getting a little heavy. That's a little bit heavy. What's up with that? Why are we digging into that? See, the idea of mistake. Mm. Yeah, if I've made a mistake, maybe the reason is I had insufficient knowledge. Insufficient knowledge. So yeah, we all have moments where we have insufficient knowledge. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was kind of dumb. I I, I, I I plead ignorance. I I didn't know that was gonna that path was gonna lead that direction. I I didn't know that. Yeah. So. Yeah, I've made mistakes. It's easier for us to admit that. But come on, it doesn't always cut it, right? If you're anything like me, you've made mistakes where the issue wasn't really insufficient knowledge. If you're like me, you've made some mistakes where you knew exactly what you were doing. (laughs) The truth is, sometimes we make mistakes on purpose think about it. You know what that looks like, making mistakes on purpose. You know, when someone gets on TV and confesses a four-year-long mistake, can you make the same mistake for four years and still call it a mistake? And, And not only that, but sometimes we actually plan our mistakes. What do you call a mistake that you planned? What do you call that? Well, some folks buy airline tickets um, to go and facilitate the mistake that they're going to make on that weekend. I, 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 you know, it wasn't a spur of the moment decision. They weren't, they didn't succumb to an instant temptation. No, 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 no. They planned that mistake out in detail. Somebody has a stash of mistakes at home right now, hid, and somebody is in the process maybe of planning their next mistake so doesn't the word mistake fail to capture the gravity of what happened a predetermined mistake come on we make the same mistakes over and over and over again work with me what what do you call a mistake That is made over and over and over. What do you call a person who makes a mistake over and over and over? Are they just a mistaker? (laughs) What do you call them? See, uh, the word mistake just doesn't cut it, and there's something going on that's even worse than mistake. Let me explain it like this What do you do with a mistake? If you make a wrong turn, you go back and correct it, don't you? You just circle the block. If you were supposed to go left, you just correct it. Easy. If there's a mistake, I just correct it. Hey, I was supposed to turn left, and I didn't, so I'm going to circle the block, and this time I'm going to turn right where I was supposed to. I just made a mistake, so you correct it. The problem is you can't correct you. I can't correct me. I'm the problem. You're the problem. It's not that we make mistakes. The problem is me. And for decades, I, don't, I won't tell you how many, but there's a lot. For decades, I have been trying to correct my mistakes. What do you call that? When I try and I try and I try and I can't seem to get them corrected. The question that we have to answer, why am I unable to do what I know I should do? Why can't I do it? Why do I resist the idea of embracing the fact that I might have a sin problem? Think about our lives. Your wives have tried to correct you. I've even heard it sometimes. (laughs) Your wives have tried to correct you. Your husbands have tried to correct you. You have tried to correct you. I have tried to correct me. You've tried to correct your kids, and they just keep right on doing the same stuff over and over and over again. Some of us pay $100 an hour to somebody to help us try to correct ourselves. Why is it so difficult? It's just like we, we can't be corrected. Sometimes you see marriages blown up because somebody was uncorrectable. Sometimes you see them lose a job because they were uncorrectable. Sometimes we go into deeper and deeper debt because we are uncorrectable. And it just keeps going over and over, and over again. And I simply have to say, what is wrong with us? If we know we shouldn't, but we do, why? And here's another one. Honestly, this is the strangest of all. So, you know, um, we all have weeks when we do really, really well. In other words, we've kind of self-corrected And we knew there was something we needed to stop, and we did. Or we knew there was something we needed to start, so we started it. And we kind of self-corrected. We were doing really good. Maybe seven, eight, nine days in a row. We're doing good. Maybe you say to yourself, yeah, I haven't visited those sites in like seven days. I haven't had a drink for maybe nine days. I'm doing good. I am self-correcting. But here's the weird thing about that. We self-correct. But there's still something inside of us that is wanting to uncorrect what we have just corrected. We have been fighting to do something we know we need to do or stop doing something we know we need to stop doing it. But there's something inside of us that is saying, but you should go ahead and go do that anyway. Or you don't have to do that. Why are you? You don't have to do it. Just take a break. There's something inside of us trying to uncorrect everything we're trying to correct, right? And think about it. It happens all the time. Or maybe we say this, yeah, uh, you know, uh, I haven't had a drink in 13 days. I owe myself one. <laughs> I haven't done whatever it is I'm trying to stop. I haven't done it in 20 days. Let's celebrate. I owe myself one, just one. Why do we continue to do something that we know hurts us. Here's my point about all that rambling. I don't think we can chalk that kind of insanity up to the phrase, well, nobody's perfect, I just made a mistake. So there's a baby step for us to take that I want to encourage us in this direction to at least embrace the notion that just perhaps I have a deeper problem than a mistake. Just perhaps I'm a sinner. Perhaps sin is a reality even though I have a tendency to want to dumb it down and call it a mistake. So for the rest of today, Here's our kind of our definition 101 of sin. And it isn't a theological definition. It's just kind of obvious. Here's the definition we're going to use, a working definition of sin. A sinner is somebody who knows better but does it anyway. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jesus talked about sin a lot, (laughs) Now, look, this morning, I am not going to be arguing this morning that you need to believe in Jesus. I'm not going to, that's not my topic for today. I'm not going to argue that today. I'm not even going to argue today that Jesus is the Son of God and you need to listen. Okay, I I believe those things, but that's not what I'm arguing today. I just want to give you some information today. So, if you were to ask the question, hey, Harley, what did Jesus say about sin? This is what Jesus taught. Jesus talked about sin in connection with relationships. Jesus talked about something that we all have experienced. We all have experienced this. Jesus said, sin always breaks Relationships. If you have ever broken a relationship, it is because of something you did or something they did or something you both should not have done. And that broke the relationship. And because of that, Jesus' entire purpose in talking about sin was restoration, not condemnation. Now, we don't like to talk about sin because it makes us feel bad about ourselves. But Jesus said, we've got to talk about sin because you can't get restored until you're willing to accept the fact that you're not just a mistaker. You are, in fact, a sinner. Because Jesus knew something that we fail to realize As long as Harley is just a mistaker, I don't need to seek the thing that I need to enable restoration. Because if sin breaks relationships, then what restores relationships? Think about this in your everyday life. Let's say your husband or your wife or a a really, really good friend Let's just say that they do something to you that is just wrong. It is dead wrong. It's wrong. No arguments about it. They are wrong in what they did. And you confront them, all right? You confront them, and here's what they say Sorry. Relationship restored, right? No way. Let's say you confront your kids, okay? They did something wrong. They're busted. You confront them, and they say, okay, okay, sorry. Everything's good, right? We can go on, right? Everything restored. Here's what's wrong with that. They've acknowledged, okay, I made a mistake. I'm sorry, can we just go on? and there's something inside of you and something inside of me, you know, we know we can't just go on. Because sorry doesn't restore relationships. As long as you only think, yeah, I'm a mistaker, we will never seek forgiveness. Because mistakes don't require forgiveness. They just have to be corrected, right? We erase something and put in the correct answer. We just have to correct it. Mistakes don't require forgiveness. A mistake was, oh, yeah, oh, that was bad judgment. You know, I didn't know any better. I, I, I just, I didn't have all the information, you know? I just did it wrong. You don't have to forgive somebody for making a mistake. You don't have to forgive somebody for turning left when they should have turned right. And that's why someone who says, okay, okay, sorry, and they think, are we good now? Are we good now? You know the relationship is still damaged, and you're thinking, no, we're not good now. The only way to restore a relationship, and you know this is true with your spouse or a friend or a relative, the only way to restore a relationship is for the offender to acknowledge and embrace the fact that there has been an offense. And we can't just say, sorry. We can't do that. And you know this if you're going to be restored in a relationship, something else has to happen. They've got to look you in your eyes and say, I'm sorry because. I was wrong. And it wasn't a mistake. I did it on purpose. And I am sorry. Now, here's Jesus' point. And this is so brilliant. So Jesus comes along and Jesus teaches on sin. But instead of dumbing it down, Jesus comes along and he said, hey, think, hey, hey, listen, you think you've done a few things bad. You have no idea how bad you really are. (laughs) This is what he does. Jesus comes along and that's what he said. He said, you think you've done a few, you have no idea. You have no idea. And Jesus jacked the standard so high that everybody, when they heard it, they said, we're doomed. There's no way we can meet that standard. And once they acknowledged that they were doomed, Jesus stepped in at that point and he said, wait, 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 I've got great news though. I'm here, I'm actually here, Jesus would say, for doomed people. In fact, I'm only here for doomed people. I'm not here unless you are doomed. There's the point. God loves doomed people. But people won't experience the love of God until they acknowledge they are doomed. So Jesus would say, I'm here to make you all feel really doomed. (laughs) But before you go jump off a cliff, I'm going to come rushing in and I'm going to be saying, guess what? God loves doomed sinners. That's good news. Jesus is saying, that's exactly why God sent me. But you'll never know me until you acknowledge something about you. And listen to how Jesus said it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Matthew recorded for us this conversation that Jesus had. Here's what he said. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness, that word righteousness means your good behavior, all the good things in your life added up that you can do. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, this is important because these Pharisees were like the best people around. They were professional good people. Their job literally, they got paid to be good, literally, and Jesus just said, unless your goodness is better, better than this, and also better than the teachers of religious law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And at that point, everyone in the audience thought, we're all doomed. We're all doomed. None of, If those people who are the best in the world are not good enough to get into heaven, there's no way I'm getting in. We're not getting in. Jesus says, unless you're better than that person, because they're not good enough. We're like, okay, Jesus, blowing my mind, what does this mean? He goes on, verse 21. Jesus says, you have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And it's like, oh, finally, Jesus, I've got that one. I haven't murdered anyone yet. Close, but I haven't. I have not murdered. And Jesus goes on, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Here's what he's saying. If you read this in context, Jesus is saying anyone who gets angry with that other person is guilty of murder in God's economy. If you are thinking thoughts of anger to the point where you're thinking, I wish they weren't around, they're making my life crazy. He says, you're guilty of murder. And you will face that judgment to which everyone sat down and went, What? What do you mean? He goes on. Jesus says, You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Exactly, Jesus. Exactly. And I have not committed adultery. So I've got that one in my favor. And he goes on, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, oh, Jesus, who hasn't done that? And Jesus says, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And Jesus goes on and on with these examples. By the time he's done, every single person listening to Jesus is absolutely condemned, completely condemned doomed. They are all sinners. Jesus raises the bar so high that there's absolutely no way that any human could attain that. And so we might think, well, what's the point of trying? But then Jesus rushes in and he says, but that's why I'm here. Because it doesn't end with sin and then condemnation. That's not where it ends. It goes from sin to condemned to I need to ask forgiveness and God will then restore that relationship. But you will never be restored. So important, we will never be restored to God until we acknowledge that we need to be restored. One day, you'll you might recognize this story, famous story. Some people bring this woman to Jesus and they just kind of shove her down into the ground at his feet. She was caught in the act of adultery. Now, think about this for a moment. She was caught in the act of of adultery. This was not mental adultery. And they tell Jesus, she deserves to be stoned. And then Jesus does this Jesus Jedi thing that only Jesus can do. And by the time he's finished talking to them, everybody has left because of what he said. And he is left there with the woman and with his disciples. That's all that is left. He intimidates the crowd away. So now it's just Jesus, the woman, his disciples. And here is how Jesus ends this conversation with the woman who was caught in adultery. Listen to how he does it. This is what he says He says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Let's turn that around. He says, Honey, you're a sinner. You have sinned and you are caught. Now, look at me. I don't condemn you. We're not going to talk about your mama. We're not going to talk about how hard you had it while you were being raised. We're not going to talk about how you were drinking too much and you've never done this before and you won't do it again. Look at me you're a sinner. Now stop doing that, and I don't condemn you. See? That's Jesus. Embrace it, and he'll offer you something. Acknowledge that you need to be restored, and he will restore you. But try to play that middle ground. Try to blame something else. Try to, uh, try to divert the attention to something else, try to call it a mistake, try to do something else to lessen it. Mm -mm. And you'll never know restoration. You'll never have this sense of being restored. His most famous teaching in regard to um, this, there were two groups of people, two main groups of people, one of the groups, literally their life motto was, eat, drink, be merry, and when you die, you'll go to hell, but you'll know a lot of people there. (laughs) That was their motto. There was another group in this same setting, and their motto was basically, um, they were these Pharisees, these teachers of religious law, and this group had dumbed down the meaning of sin so much that they truly believed themselves to be sinless. And Jesus realizes that both groups are not understanding what he's saying. So Jesus begins to tell some stories to help them understand. He makes these stories up. They're called parables. And he to help them understand what he's meaning. He tells one about a lost sheep. Oh, I love that parable. He tells one about a lost coin. We don't always get that one in our culture. But then he tells maybe the most famous one of all. And it's uh, you've probably heard it. It's basically this young man. He comes to his dad. And he says, Dad, um, I wish you would die. <laughs> so that I could get my inheritance. Because, Dad, I, you, know, um, you seem to be living extra long, and I really need you to die. I want you to die because I want my inheritance. And so let's just pretend, Dad, that you are dead. And go ahead and give me my inheritance. I'll take that, and I can't wait for you to die any longer. Could we go ahead and speed this up? Let's just pretend, give it to me. And he takes it, and he heads off. Now, this is a made-up story. He wasn't you know, telling you history. He made up this story so he could teach something very specific about how God views and understands this whole sin and condemnation thing. So how does God respond in this story? Now, in this story, um, everyone understood that the father in the story represented God. So how does God respond? respond in this story that Jesus, who is God, is using to describe how God reacts to sin and condemnation? Well, if you know the story, you know the sun goes off. He wastes absolutely every bit of that inheritance and he ends up with nothing. He ends up in a really, really bad place as at, to which the audience that Jesus was speaking to would all say, ah, yeah, knew that was coming. And then though he comes back because while he was away, it dawned on him, he has really messed up And he comes back and he makes a speech to his father. And so Jesus is the one who is making up these words to help us understand this whole sin condemnation thing from the perspective of the sinner and the perspective of God the Father. Jesus made up these words to help us understand. This is so cool. So he makes up this speech. He comes back. And the son, they all understand, is somebody who um, has done some things so bad that there is no way in their culture that a father would ever have a relationship ever again with that son. They all know this. And these are the words that Jesus uses. So here are the words for the son as he approaches his father. The son says... Father, I have sinned. He didn't say, hey, Dad, listen, um, can we have a little talk? Things didn't really work out the way I thought they would. I made a few wrong turns. I made some mistakes. No, 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 no. He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The son, as described by Jesus, is owning it. Dad, I recognize that our relationship is broken, broken, broken. I don't have the right to call you father. You should never have any reason ever again to call me son. The relationship is severed, and it is severed so badly because of my sin. And the next phrase that Jesus chooses to use is this but but the father said to his servants notice he's not talking to the son at this moment and you might think oh yeah good reason i wouldn't talk to him either no 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 he doesn't address the son and here's why because when the father heard those words from the son he knew ah my son's back he's back I I recognize, I recognize that he understands what is needed in order to be restored. The son said the magic words of, I own it. I have sinned. I have blown it. I recognize that my sin has severed, has broken, has destroyed this relationship. The father doesn't have to address him. But the father said to his servants, quick, quick. Bring the best robe and put on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. To which the servants might think, well, wait a minute. Don't you want him to explain? Nope. Don't you want him to tell you what he did with all the inheritance as he wastes? Nope. Because I can see in his eyes. I can see. He owns it. There's no more excuses. Now we can be restored. And Jesus is getting ready. He's going to, he's taking these words. Jesus is creating this story, taking these words, putting them into the mouths of these characters for the sake of that audience. And listen, for the sake of us, 2,000 years later, the father says, for the son of mine was dead. Wait a minute, uh, uh, dad, he wasn't dead. He was just like, no, no, no. He was dead to me. He was dead to me. We had no relationship. It was broken. It was destroyed. He was dead and is alive again. Well, what made him alive? The fact that he owned. He owned that the relationship was dead because of what he did. He was lost, the father said. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Those were the words that Jesus used. What were they celebrating? They were celebrating the restoration of a relationship. A relationship that would not have been restored if the son had not come to his senses and recognized, I'm not just a bad money manager. I didn't just make a couple wrong turns and a few mistakes. It's not that I'm just not perfect. I have sinned against heaven and against my father. And his dad now said, okay, now we can celebrate because the relationship is restored. Now here's my point. When you think about Jesus and when you consider the Christian faith and when you consider pressing the begin again button on your Christian faith, when you think about sin and acknowledge your sin, That is not a path to condemnation. Acknowledging our sin is the way back into a relationship with God. Recognition of sin, it paves the way to restoration. In our minds, we think, I admit to my sin and boom, condemnation, my life's over. But Jesus is saying, you you haven't been listening to me. Jesus is like, where did you get that teaching? My message, Jesus would say, is you must embrace who you are so that you can become absolutely everything I intend on you becoming. You've got to embrace the fact that there has been uh, something that has severed our relationship. And you are now severed from a God who loves you so much. And the only way back is to quit making those excuses. We can't just say, oh, I'm human. Jesus is saying, you look at me and say, I have sinned. And as soon as you do, I'm going to give you what a mistaker will never ask for. I'm going to give you forgiveness, and I'm going to restore you to me. Now, I have no idea what you think about Jesus, and I have no idea what um, you thought about Jesus leading up to this teaching today. And I know some of us may hear that and we may just say, okay, Harley, that's all good. I mean, you're an okay presenter, you're an okay teacher, but I'm just more comfortable. I'm just more comfortable living in terms of just saying, you know what? I'm just not perfect. I'm a mistaker. And I just need to work harder and just correct those things in my life. I can do that. I just need to correct those things and work on it. Thank you, Harley. Good talk. But I'm going to go with, with my thoughts. We just present this because we just think that you need to know and be aware of what Jesus said. Not that you have to take Jesus seriously yet. We're just in week number two. We just think it's something you need to hear. Something that you need to know. You know, you didn't need to hear this teaching today to know that your problem is deeper than a mistake every once in a while. You you didn't need to hear this teaching today to know that that the only way to restore a relationship is acknowledging that it's broken and it needs to be restored. So, the thing that's never quite satisfied inside of you, deep down inside of you, and always feeling that you're not exactly sure where you stand with God, I think Jesus would say, here's why you feel that way. Because you're separated. But God desires to have a party. And the only way that he can celebrate is for you to come back. But you can't come back as a mistaker. You can only come back as a full Blown sinner. And when you do. Jesus will say to you. Like he said to that woman. Okay. Stop sinning. It's bad for you. It hurts you. But I don't condemn you. Because you are restored. And we're going to leave that right there. And we're going to pick it back up next week with part three of Begin Again. Before our last song, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for preserving these texts for thousands of years. And thank you for their relevance to us today. And Heavenly Father, thank you for not condemning us and for loving us. And wanting us to come to the conclusion that there's something wrong inside of us that is not just a mistake because that just doesn't describe it. So God, I ask that you would give each one of us wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard. And we would ask that you give us the courage to do it. Amen.